Hi, welcome to the Carnivore Stories podcast with me, Alyssa Grubner. The carnivore way of eating completely transformed my life. And it's stories just like the ones you'll hear on this podcast that kept me going every step of the way. I hope you're ready to hear an inspirational carnivore story. I know I am, but first, let me tell you about the meat-tastic t-shirts I have for sale on my spring store. It's a great opportunity for you to become a walking billboard, if that's what you're into. And it's a great opportunity for you to support your new favorite podcast. You can find a link to the spring store in my bio on Instagram at meet, M-E-A-T, Mrs. M-R-S, Grubs, G-R-U-B-S. I'll also put a link to the store in this video's description on YouTube. So check it out and get some carnivore swag. All right. Welcome to episode 26 of the Carnivore Stories podcast. Today, I'm joined by Casey Ruff from Utah. Casey is the host of the Boundless Body Radio podcast and the How to Make a Podcast podcast. Uh, He's also a personal trainer and a keto carnivore nutrition coach. Thank you so much for joining me today, Casey. I'm super excited to have you on my show. I was on your two shows, so everybody check that out when when that airs. But yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's such an honor to be here with you. Episode 26. That's amazing. I think I found you you were right around episode 10. And so I just binged all 10 of those shows that day and, and reached out to you as soon as I could. I really wanted to talk to you. So it's such an honor to be here today. Wow, Casey, I got to figure out your secret because it seems like everybody else has like 24 hours in the day, but you have like 72. <laughs> You're making all these podcast episodes and you you were able to listen to all of, all of those episodes in a day um that's awesome time management is a <laughs> is an important skill to have definitely um, okay so let's jump right into you telling everyone about how you found carnivore and when was that Yeah, so I didn't find Carnivore really until about 2018, 2019 um, with the Joe Rogan podcast that he did with Dr. Sean Baker, which I actually did just go back and finish the episode. I had turned the episode off halfway through uh, because I thought it was so outlandish um, and and ridiculous. And now I'm a coach for his website and everything else um, after trying Carnivore myself. But it was really, all of that was from a frustration of being a personal trainer and a nutrition coach in the industry And giving people advice of what we all knew would give people the very best results and just have it like continually not work for people or for if it did work, it would work very temporarily. So my interest when I was working at the big corporate gym that I was working at before the pandemic was using what is called a metabolic cart, which measures people's metabolism. So basically you put a mask on and it collects your breathing, your respiration. And, and basically that can tell us how many calories somebody is burning, but also if the, if the analyzers can measure the difference between the oxygen and the carbon dioxide that are being exchanged inside somebody's bodies, they can actually go a step further and tell people where the calories are come from, not just how many total calories somebody's burning, but what percentage of those calories come from our fat energy source and what calories come from our carbohydrate energy source. And by using that and seeing the results from that over the years, it just kind of like naturally evolved for me in my career where I found low carbohydrate diets. I found that that worked much better for people. And we were getting really good numbers. I could get people to lose fat very effectively and easily where again, following the standard advice and telling people to eat lots of whole grains, lots of fruits and vegetables. It really just ended up in lots of confusion, lots of failures, lots of food thrown away at the end of the week, lots of time wasted at the grocery store and meal prepping. And, and I think most listeners who come to carnivore can probably relate to that. I don't think a lot of people would start a carnivore diet without having tried all kinds of the other traditional diets that are out there because carnivore just seems so ridiculous. I think it's, it's, you have to kind of go through that learning process and all the failures to get you to what will actually work. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like carnivore is like the last stop on the bus route. Like, 
<laughs> if you weren't able to get off anywhere else, this is the last stop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a really good point too, because we know a lot of carnivores who like really they're planning on doing this for the rest of their lives. I have no intention of quitting this diet because it feels so good. And I think there's so many of us out there like that, that just are thriving a carnivore and like, this is my last stop. I'm not going to change my diet in any major way until I stop feeling great. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you came across Sean Baker's interview on Joe Rogan and you thought it was ridiculous. At what point did you say, okay, I'm going to give this a try. It was probably a few months later that I was, you know, kind of listening to more podcasts and collecting more information out there and kind of learning what, what the cha- what, what changes would happen when somebody goes not only low carbohydrate, but also carnivore, what happens metabolically when people start intermittent fasting, which was very interesting. We were getting all that data on the metabolic carts that I was collecting. And I, you know, eventually it just came to this point that I was like, okay, like I want to try this. I want to see if this works. I'm going to do this for one month. That seemed about the right amount of time that most people were recommending. I figured, you know, in 30 days, I probably won't make my heart blow up and hopefully I'll go number two another time that month. I don't know, maybe I won't. Um, but that was back in April of 2019 that I started the carnivore diet and it just felt so good that when May 1st rolled in, I just decided to keep going and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Um, did you have any issues adapting or let me ask first, what was your diet like before I can kind of guess with you being in the fitness industry, but what, what was it like before? Yeah. So it's a pretty classic progression that I see with a lot of my clients. I'm sure you see with a lot of your clients, you know, it's, it's, you start off with a low fat, you know, kind of standard American diet. Um, you know, getting into personal training back in 2007, we started to realize, like, I would say, you know, organic was maybe a little bit better than conventional fruits and vegetables. So we're recommending a lot of that. Uh, definitely doing a lot of Greek yogurt and turkey the way everybody was doing then. Um, and then you started to kind of hear, in, I would say like 2013, 2014, even in the industry, the language is changing a little bit. People were talking about healthy fat and it was like, what, what is healthy fat? That's, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing as healthy fat. There's only the fat that makes you fat and that's it. Like, yeah, it's what's an oxymoron. Fat? It's a total oxymoron. Right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a total oxymoron. And before I found her book, um, I found an interview with Nina Teicholz that she was explaining the concept of the big fat surprise and all the research that she was doing as the book was coming out back in 2014. And quite frankly, I think looking back, I had listened to this interview, but I purposely didn't go buy that book immediately. And I wonder, again, looking back, there was a little bit of resistance to this information, thinking that what I was telling people was wrong, thinking that an entire industry and the government recommendations and the American Heart Association, all these people that were saying the same things could all be wrong. I, th- I really think I resisted that because it took me a little while to actually read the book, The Big Bat Surprise. So from there, it was pretty easy to go down to you know a higher fat diet, then reduce the carbohydrates for a more classic low carbohydrate diet. And part of what we were doing as personal trainers was we would have to recruit people for temporary weight loss contests. And so they started out, the company would run two of them per year and there were 90 days. And basically you have to find people to participate in these contests and people would pay and the gym made a lot of money and we give people a lot of resources like meal plans and shopping lists and all the classic stuff. And, you know, doing that again and knowing that we would have to do that, you know, a few times a year, um, it was a challenge because not a lot of people were very compliant with it. We couldn't get a lot of people not only to like lose weight or burn fat, but even just simply stepping on the scale to finish the contest, our compliance percentage was less than 20% of people who would start one of these contests to people that would actually finish regardless of whether they got good results or not. And so, you know, we, we kept doing these and they were very frustrating business-wise because you'd have to find new people. So if you did one of these contests, you probably wouldn't do a second or a third one because you already know what the program was. You probably already failed it. And, and the company had switched them from doing them twice a year, 90 days each to doing them four times a year, 60 days each. We just got tired of like not getting very good results, not finding people to do the contest. My wife and I, you know, worked for the same company. So it was very frustrating. And this was back in 2018 that one of the gym's employees signed up under, um, uh, with us to do the contest. He didn't really even want to do it, but he had some weight to lose. And I just heard him describe his diet, which was very, very high in carbohydrates and really had no fat. I would say he was very fat phobic at that point, really classic, like wake up in the middle of the night and eat cereal kind of thing. 
And so as a, as a coaching tip on our initial weigh-in, again, this was summer of 2019. I just told Mike, look, man, like you don't have any fat in your diet. I, I know that at the very least, let's at least feed you some more fat and get you to not be hungry. So he went away and a few days later, he came back and said that he had lost already like two pounds and was feeling really good. And he asked me what this keto stuff was. And I was like, well, that's great, first of all. And second, I don't know enough about that. So I guess I should have to learn about that. And so that's how it really started my obsession into more of the low carbohydrate world and definitely into ketogenic diets. Um, yeah, that, that started, that whole process started in about 2017, 2018. Okay. So when you finally went carnivore, did you have any adaptation symptoms or do you feel like you went slowly enough that it was a smooth transition? Uh, apparently I didn't go slowly enough because I was very much like you. I noticed some, um, pretty close calls, um, with my digestion. Like I had very, very loose stools and I, there were a few times when it was very close that I didn't have an accident or I have to okay. run across the floor of the gym <laughs> or something. So yeah, that did take, oh um, man. Yeah. Uncomfortable for sure. Um, and that took a while, but that passed. So, um, I was kind of like you, like I was feeling so good with everything else. That if that was a symptom that I would have to deal with for the rest of my life, like I could, I could do that. I could take that. The biggest thing I noticed in my transition, um, again, is pretty, pretty standard with what we notice with people that go carnivore brain health, my brain health just achieved another level. I would always describe myself as somebody that was very positive and optimistic and would definitely look on the bright side of certain things. But I just, I was unaware of, of the up-leveling of my brain, that I could deal with stress so much better. Um, I remember somebody had to refund a, a package of personal training sessions that I had sold them, which means I lost, you know, several hundred dollars. And I was just like, you know, great, that's fine. Here's my card. Like, if you ever need anything in the future, I'm happy to help. And I would not have responded that way in the past. And so that was really interesting and then I also don't think I really appreciated how much I dealt with at least a low to moderate level of anxiety. And I've, I've played around with, you know, having sugar since going on the carnivore diet. And the last time that I did it will probably be the last time that I do it. Um, it was last summer. I um, was eating a pie. And I just could not stop myself from eating this pie. And I ate the whole thing and spent the next 24 to 36 hours, just like spinning in anxiety. The business was going to fail. My marriage was going to fail. The wow. house was going to burn down and sink into a swamp. Like it was really bad. And I, I was, you know, kind of observing this and understanding that this isn't my normal mindset for sure. And this is sugar. Absolutely. Sugar creates a lot of anxiety for me. And so for me, it's just easier to be abstinent at this point. Wow. I mean, that's really something else. Like a lot of people can attest to that. Like sugar can make you crazy. Like I, I know when I was in my vegan days and all I was eating was carbohydrates and I was like, I was losing my mind. Like I think back now and I remember my son was a baby and every night I would be terrified that, oh, he's going to suffocate in his crib. The water heater is going to catch on fire. His room's right next to the water <laughs> heater. Just, you know, like, like who, who would even think of this unless, you know, they're crazy and on sugar. Um, and, and now, you know, nothing, nothing like that happens to me now. I'm very calm. I mean, yep. the, the water heater could catch on fire right now. It's right here. <laughs> and I'd be like, Oh, you know what, Casey, you know what, let me put this down for a second. I'm going to go call the fire department. You know, <laughs> it's so different. It's just so different. I've got a client that I train him and his wife are both primarily carnivores because she was diagnosed with MS several years ago. She's now had like no symptoms after being carnivore for several years. And for whatever reason, we were talking earlier this week and he was like, man, like my self-talk is terrible. Like my self-talk this week has been so bad. I felt like my business wasn't working, all the same things that I was describing. And I was like, hold on, I recognize this. Did you have sugar this week? And he goes, no, I didn't. I ate really well. Wait a second. Nope. It was Halloween. I had, I had Halloween candy on Monday night. The next day I had anxiety. I'm like, there you go. It's the sugar. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So while you were still at the gym, did you start to recommend a lower carbohydrate diet to any of the, any of the clients you had there? Yes, I did. So 
the, the guy who originally approached me on the keto diet, who signed up for our weight loss contest, he ended up losing like 25 pounds in 60 days. And we were using body fat scales. So I was, I was used to seeing people lose weight. I wasn't loose to, used to people losing like all of that weight in what was essentially pure fat. Like these people weren't losing muscle. They weren't losing water. We were validating all of that by using um, what's called electrical impedance in a scale that measures the different density of the tissue. So, so it was tremendous. It was really unexpected and he did really well. And so before the next contest that was coming, my wife and I were kind of sitting around and complaining about it because again, we'd have to go out and find new people. And we just said, well, this worked really good for this guy. Like, what if, what if we did, did our own thing? Like, what if we go a little rogue here? And what if we don't give our group the company's meal plans? What if they give them our meal plans or different meal plans and they're just low carbohydrate and you know, we'll just see how they do. We can track these people during the contest. We can see if they do any better than the normal people do. We've got all the numbers. We can measure all of it. And so that's what we did. Anybody who signed up with us knew that they were doing this like off brand, you know, totally different kind of a contest. And it was really kind of like savage that they were signing up for this contest. And over the years of doing those contests, one after the other, doing the same thing of giving people simply low carbohydrate meal plans, we would do seminars to kind of, you know, tell people what was going on, teach people, you know, how it was working, teach them the concepts of why dieting doesn't work, why doing a like chronic cardio doesn't really work. Um, you know, four weeks in, we would teach them about how to get over like weight loss stalls when they're on low carbohydrate diets. Um, we had a seminar at the end that we would do, we teach them about how to transition onto whatever diet they wanted to do for the rest of their life. But again, by tracking all of these people for all the shows that we did, we found that we could have a much higher uh, compliance percentage. And of, I want to say, I want to say of the 126 people that we got to do the contest that actually finished each individual contest, the total amount of weight loss was 720 pounds collectively. And we validated that 720 of those pounds were actually coming from fat. So people were losing very high amounts of fat and it wasn't a perfect study by any means, but it was like a big sample size of men and women, of people that wanted to gain muscle. Some people wanted to lose fat. Some people did yoga. Some people did cycling. Some people were old. Some people were young. Like everybody was getting such great results. And it was a little challenging because I felt like I was starting to get pigeonholed. Like people around the gym knew me as that guy. And I didn't really want to be that guy. They started calling me keto Casey. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was afraid that it would pigeonhole me in and it would, it would wall me off from working with like a vegetarian. Um, and, and I'm really grateful for one of my business leaders at the time that was like, dude, you should just embrace this. Like you, you've got something individual and unique and you know more about this than any other person in this building. Like you should just go with it and, and really own it. I'm really grateful I did because that really changed the course of my career and how I coach people. So yeah, that's kind of how I started to integrate that in with our clients and used it very successfully. Wow. Um, so when you're coaching clients now, are majority of them coming to you knowing uh, about your approach to nutrition? Most, if not all. Yeah. We, okay. we promote on our website that we coach, you know, ketogenic and carnivore style diets. Um, I am comfortable working with people in either one of those two spheres. I would definitely say that if somebody was a vegetarian or a vegan, I would not have the skill set to be able to help them. I would refer them out to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm part of the, the coaching profile that I have is actually on the Rivero site. So people can go there. They can see all the different coaches that are certified, um, you know, Rivero coaches, and they can hire anybody there. And I have a profile there. So I get to meet people all over the world. Um, but yeah, for the most part, the people that are coming to us, um, they do already know what we're promoting and I'm not trying to change anybody's minds. I'm just trying to help them, you know, make the carnivore diet work the best way that it can for them. Um, I do have one client who sought me out and is a vegetarian and was not open to discussing any kind of nutrition. So we'll see how it goes with his results. And I'm, I'm not coaching him nutrition. I'm only coaching him in the strength training part of things. And so we'll see if he allows me to kind of sneak in some little nuggets here and there. I'm going to try, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. I think you'll remember the mindset when the thing that you're doing in your mind is the best thing that you could be doing. There's no room for discussion. If you're vegan or vegetarian, it's really kind of off the table that you're not doing the very 
best thing for yourself. We know that's the case. It is the best thing you can do. It's the best thing you can do for the planet. And so it doesn't really leave any open discussion to anything else. And so that can be a bit of a challenge. But generally speaking, we're working with people who know kind of what we're promoting. Okay. Um, have you have you yourself or have any of your clients experienced like a lack of or a loss of strength or endurance upon cutting carbs? That's a great question. I would like say when, when you're first. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I would say when you're first transitioning over to a low carbohydrate or carnivore diet, I would say to remember to maybe start gentle and give yourself a good four to six weeks to allow for adaptation. I see that a lot more with endurance sport. Um, with my cycling background, we used to consume just massive amounts of carbohydrates, not only in our day-to-day -day diet, but also as we were riding and training and racing. And, and so when you switch over from burning lots of carbohydrates to burning more fat, I think you do suffer performance wise. And that's definitely something that I have seen, but I don't know of a single case where that didn't self-correct after a little while. And somebody wasn't way better with either their endurance or their strength. And I would say definitely on the strength side, I've not seen very much in the way of uh, time for adaptation. I think people can get very strong and build muscle uh, very quickly on a carnivore diet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, I have a 17 year old brother and he's seen me go through this whole, uh, carnivore thing and he's really into his health. And, um, he ran cross country for a couple of years. And I think now he's getting into swimming and boxing. And so he texted me, uh, about two weeks ago and he goes, all right, day one carnivore, what should I eat? And I was like, Oh, you know, so this is so awesome. You know, he's the, he's like the only family member that's like, all right, I'm going to do this. Um, but you know, he, so he got through the first week and he's like, he's texting me. He's like, oh man, I feel awful. I'm so weak. I, I'm losing all my muscle. And I'm like, just hold on. You're not losing all your muscle. You're adapting. And I ended up sending him a link to, um, the plant free MD podcast where he interviewed the college decathlete. And I was like, you know, you can do this, you know, just listen to this. This will give you some, some inspiration, hopefully. So I hope he sticks to it and he gets through to that other side. I hope so too. And that's exactly the person I was thinking of, by the way, as you were sharing that story, um, Ryan Talbot is his name up at Michigan state and he won his, you know, his, um, conference, decathlon, which includes the mile, which is a little bit more of an endurance sport, but it also includes sprinting hundred meters. And he adapted so well, he was able to lose extra weight, which helped him in the jumping events. Um, yeah, such a cool story. We actually got to host him on our podcast as well. And uh, very cool. And I'm very jealous of any 18 or 19 year old kids out there that are starting carnivore. The, the amount of potential for these kids in their future is just amazing. You could hear it in uh, Dr. Chafee's voice as Dr. Chafee was interviewing, he was getting like so worked up and excited about the potential of his performance. So I thought that was cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so Casey, what do your workouts look like? Yeah. So my workouts have definitely evolved a lot. I don't spend a ton of time in the gym. Um, I, I try to spend as much time as I can moving. So, um, you know, a lot of times when I am listening to podcasts, I'm out walking as much as I possibly can. Um, I'm trying to learn that way. That's where I can, you know, do a lot of calls and a lot of coaching, but I try to stay active during the day and, and really prioritize walking. As far as strength training goes, I think the biggest priority for all of us is to have a decent amount of muscle mass and be very strong. I, I think that is the number one priority. I think that's the most important thing that we can be doing or we can be teaching our clients. It's just the way to do that has really evolved over my personal training career. And so I use primarily a method that's described in a book called Body by Science by Dr. Doug McGuff and John Little, which describes a pretty minimalist strength training approach where you're pushing a weight very, very slowly, maybe like on a machine, Mm -hmm. really, really slow until you take that weight all the way to muscular failure to where you can't really move that weight any further. In that sense, it's a very intense type of workout, but it's not one that's intense the way people think it is. You're not like jumping around or having high risk of injury, doing certain things. You're not even really like breathing very hard out of your mouth. You can do it nose breathing and that workout, you can really use one set of 
you know, a few different moves that you like, maybe bench presses or rows or deadlifts or squats or pull downs or whatever you want, but taking your body to the point that it can't move the weight any further, I think is so critical for the body understanding that it needs to get stronger. It needs to build muscle. Building muscle is inefficient. And that can sometimes sound like a bad thing, but we live in an interesting world where we didn't really evolve from to where the body is trying to be efficient in a world where there's not a lot of calories around, right? Like we need to get from one meal to the next. Our bodies want to be very efficient. And so the body works to become efficient with its calories. Strength training does the opposite. Strength training teaches the body to be inefficient with calories. So if you're trying to burn fat or you're trying to get strong, that's actually a really good thing. You want your body to be burning off extra energy. And so if you can strength train in a way that sends a signal to your body that you are failing a lift and it needs to get stronger, then I think that's the most effective way to build and maintain muscle mass and keep it on for a very long time. So that's typically the method that I go with. And that doesn't require me to do a ton of time in the gym. I can get away with maybe 30 or 40 minutes a week doing strength training. It's tough. I mean, it's a challenge, but it's also, it's also not something that I, I need to spend as much time on, which is great because now I can go podcast. I can go paddleboard. I can go ride my bike. I can do other things with my time and I don't have to spend all my time in the gym. Yeah, that's awesome. That's something I haven't looked a whole lot into, but I have started to experiment a little bit on my um, upper body days with just doing that really slow, like movement. And it's tough. The first time I did it, I did it on the first set and I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get three sets of this. And so I, 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 I appreciate that. I heard you say it can be just one set going to failure. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And, and, and again, people don't know that. And so when they're doing sets of exercise, let's say you're going to a gym and you're doing, let's say like a bicep curl and you do three sets to 12 and you were, you know, a little challenged, but you were able to do the 12 sets. You're already, your strength level already fits inside of what you can do. So the body just says like, okay, well, you did what you needed to do. We don't need to get stronger. It's only when you get to that level of like, wow, this is really tough. Um, I describe it as like almost like an anxiety that you're like worried that you're not going to be able to push the weight any further and trying to push past that just a little bit. I think that's where you can get really amazing results by having your body adapt to the stimulus that you're giving it. So I think that's really cool. Another thing that a lot of people don't understand is when people talk about slow twitch or fast twitch muscle fibers, it's really misunderstood that slow twitch muscle fibers don't fire slowly and fast twitch muscle fibers don't fire fast. It, it has nothing to do with how they fire. They all fire as, as fast as they need to. They, they, the slow twitch muscle fibers recover quickly and fatigue slowly. Fast twitch muscle fibers fatigue quickly and recover more slowly. So you can actually train all of your muscle fibers, including fast twitch muscle fibers, um, by moving a weight very slowly. Your body will still have to recruit all the muscle fibers when you're getting to the very end and it's getting very heavy. And a lot of people don't know that. They think they have to be out doing a lot of high intensity, you know, intervals and sprinting and all that stuff. But you can actually train fast twitch muscle fibers by moving slow. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, I was listening to a podcast you were on, you were being interviewed, and you mentioned that you use creatine. You supplement with creatine sometimes. Um, and as a carnivore, as carnivores, I think a lot of people know that meat has creatine. And so they may not think that they can gain additional benefits from supplementation. Can you uh, describe um, the benefits of creatine in general, and then like maybe how you take it and why you chose to supplement with it? Yeah, that's a great question. Creatine is the most researched supplement out there. It's very interesting with new stuff coming out all the time. It's primarily thought to either give you more energy for explosive lifts or help build size in the muscle tissues. Um, but there's a lot of really new and interesting research coming out about cognitive benefits as well, which is really interesting. I, I don't know. My hunch is that I don't think that if you are eating red meat in particular, and you're eating it in the volumes that I see most people eat red meat when they do the carnivore diet, I, if I had to guess, I would think supplementation would be not necessary. 
Um, however, I like to take it and I'll just take it on days that I strength train, which is again, maybe twice a week for 20 minutes or something. I'll just have it with, you know, some amino acids or whatever I have laying around and I'll just put about five grams, five to 10 grams of creatine in there. I could probably either be a lot more consistent with taking creatine or, um, probably also just not take it at all because I think I get enough red meat in my diet that would provide, you know, the five to 10 grams they say we need to take of creatine every single day. So I certainly wouldn't worry if somebody said they didn't want to supplement with it, but I also think that it's, it's really easy to find good product. It's not very expensive. It's a really low hanging fruit. Um, and so I think most people could probably benefit a little bit from it. Um, but I would say the people that, that need to take it the least would be people that are on a carnivore diet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree because you're getting that red meat in, but would you say that there are, there can be additional benefits gained by taking even more in, in supplement form? As somebody who is smarter than me about this could disagree. I, my hunch is yes, you could probably okay. get some additional benefit. Is it necessary? Probably not. Um, but again, if you're looking at supplementation and like low hanging fruit, I think that's, there's just, there's so little risk and, and it's not expensive. It's not difficult to take. Uh, it's totally safe. So yeah, I, I would probably lean towards like, if you have any question about it, I would say just buy some and try and then just pay attention to, you know, mm -hmm. see how you feel on it. See if you have more energy, if it's helping you think more clearly, then it's probably something you could keep in the diet and would be totally fine. Okay, cool. Um, what does your, what all do you include in your diet? So, yeah. So I used to do OMAD when I first started with carnivore. And I think I took that a little bit too far. I started to notice metabolically, my body was changing a little bit and I think I needed more protein and more calories. So OMAD, of course, uh, short for one meal a day, I was just doing dinner after a long day of work. I would just heat up a few ribeyes and that would primarily be my dinner. Um, I do have more variety and I also will start earlier in my day. So I will typically have anywhere from six to 10 eggs sometime around noon, just depending on, you know, when I'm hungry, what my schedule's like sometime in there is totally fine. Generally during the week, I'll do hard boiled. And on weekends when I have a little bit more time, um, I'll make more eggs and kind of scramble them up. Um, I got really big into formula one racing this year after the Netflix series, came out and got me totally hooked on it. So a lot of the races happen on Saturday mornings. So that's kind of my tradition is to turn my little screen on, on the phone and watch, um, watch one of the sessions, watch part of the races and then eat like 18 eggs cooked in a whole bunch of butter. It's delicious. Oh, fun. <laughs> so good. Um, so typically I'll do that as my first meal sometime around the middle part of the day. And then I'll always get dinner in. And you know what? I just like to have a few different protein sources on hand, whether that's ground beef patties or some tri-tip, um, or, or, you know, some chicken breast, um, chicken thighs. I like to have those options available and a really typical dinner for me would be just to like throw some butter or, uh, bacon grease or something in a, in a cast iron. I just heat all that up together and just eat that whatever proportion sounded good to me that day. Um, that's usually what I do. Um, Bethany, my wife, she also does a carnivore style diet. Um, and she's done really well with it. She's had a history of eating disorder and it's really helped her, even though it's restrictive on the kinds of foods that she can have, she can eat as much as she likes. And so she will literally eat an entire like 15 to 20 pound brisket a week. I have to cook her on our smoker, a giant brisket every single week for her to eat. And she does great eating about a pound and a half to two pounds a day of that kind of food and feels really good doing it and doesn't feel like she's restricting herself at all. So yeah, that's kind of what we eat around here. We keep it very simple and try not to make anything too complicated. Nice. Um, what about organs? Do you include any organs in your diet? Great question. I personally do not. Um, I have gone in different waves of thinking that I should or should not include different organs. I've done the whole thing where I'm like, I don't, I don't like them, but I'm going to try to cook them differently and see if I can appreciate them, which I cannot, <laughs> I can tell you. Um, 
I've done periods of time where I've taken desiccated liver supplements and done that consistently for a month or two. I've done, um, you know, cutting the, the liver into slices and then into little cubes and freezing them and then pulling them out and taking them like liver pills. Um, you know, sometimes when we go to the Brazilian steakhouse, since I used to live in Brazil and I acquired a taste for it down there is I'll do chicken hearts and count that as my organ meats. But I, I only do that when I'm really craving them. It's not every time that I crave them. And I, I don't do, I don't do any other organ meats right? with any okay. kind of consistency, I would say. So okay. how about you or where are you at currently with the organs? <laughs> You know, like you, I, I thought that it was really necessary at certain times. So I would force myself to eat them. And, um, I got around to thinking, well, if it doesn't taste good, I should not eat it. Um, that being said though, I will have times every now and and then like around my cycle that I actually do crave liver. Like I'm it's on my mind and I'm thinking about it and I I'll have just a little, like a little one square inch cube. And, and that, that does it for a while. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a great way to think about it. I think a little bit of organ meats goes a long way. Um, I'm not sure if you followed, uh, Kevin stock on social media. Do you follow Kevin stock? Yeah. Yeah. The dentist. So he yes. recently, yeah, he's great. Um, we've had him on our show as well. He's been carnivore for a number of years. He recently made a post that was 10, 10 observations that he's made on people that have done carnivore for longer than 10 years. And he comes out and says like, this is just an observation. This isn't anybody. I'm just, this is what I noticed with people that do this for a long time. And that's kind of one of the things he said is I don't see these people that have been carnivore for a really long time, really worried about organs. They don't seem to talk about it. They don't seem to crave them. A lot of them are not just eating like the highest quality meat and eggs. They're not really dogmatic about it. Sometimes they eat out and they figure it out. Sometimes they eat plant foods and they still do okay. So I thought that was a really thoughtful and interesting post. And I, I have to agree that people that seem like they've done this a long time, I don't, I don't notice a lot of them that put a high emphasis on organ meats in particular. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about dairy? Do you include dairy? Yeah. For me personally, I feel like I do okay with a small amount of dairy. So at night, sometimes I'll have cottage cheese. Sometimes I'll have Greek yogurt with some protein powder mixed into it. I do okay with that. I don't notice a major difference in my digestion. I think dairy of all things with the people that I coach and work with, I think it's a coin flip for a lot of people. I think it's just about 50, 50 on whether dairy is really good and effective for somebody and something that they can include in, or if it's just something that is, is disagreeable with people, I don't know what it is. I don't know, you know, if it's people's backgrounds, if it's the type of dairy that they're eating, I'm not sure, but it just seems like some people can have some and it doesn't bother them and other people really shouldn't have any. So I kind of have that as like a 50, 50. Um, also when I'm thinking about breaking somebody out of a weight loss stall, if they're doing low carbohydrate or carnivore diets, that's definitely going to be one on a short list. And I'm going to say like, okay, this maybe was okay when you first got started, but as you're getting deeper into this, if your weight loss is stalling, if that's part of your goals to burn more fat, then that's one that I would say like, yeah, we should probably take this out completely. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting on carnivore. I don't do any calorie counting or macro counting. I don't give any thought to, oh, I should have more of this or less of this. I really just go by my taste. But, um, this past spring I did, and I'm, and I'm very body positive as a carnivore too. So I'm never looking in the mirror and picking myself apart, but I was like, okay, well, we're going to the beach. I do want to look a little bit more toned than I am now. And I found that for carnivore, like it's, cutting and bulking is very simple for me. So cutting is no dairy maintenance is a little dairy and bulking is a lot of dairy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love yeah. it. That's great. That's great. Um, I love the way you approach that too, because you're not saying no, I can never have dairy. You're just saying like, this is how it impacts me. And you're using that as information to make choices about what you eat. I think that's wonderful. That's great. Yes. Thank you. Um, well, Casey, you mentioned on a, another podcast that I was listening to. I can't, I can't remember. I, there's so much going on in my head, but I remember <laughs> listening to it and you mentioned you were 38 and I was like, wow, you know, I, I, not that I, 
don't take this the wrong way, but you're <laughs> super youthful and you look young. And I was like, well, why am I so shocked when I hear that people are 38? And I, and I remember someone else's, I think it was Jen Geisert. I interviewed her and she made a post that she was like, well, what's a 38 year old supposed to look like? And it isn't that like a 38 year old is supposed to look uh, old. I think a 38 year old should look like you guys and be youthful like you guys. But so many of the other people that I know um, or have seen, seen in that age range from like 35 to 40, they, they seem like they're older, much older than you or, um, Jen. So obviously carnivore has preserved your youth. Um, and I was, and you also mentioned your brain health. Are there any other, um, other unexpected benefits to carnivore that you have been able to uh... enjoy? Well, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, I won't take it the wrong way for sure. It, it's interesting. In this world, you see it all the time. People that are aging in their you know, 50s and 60s and 70s, and they are super fit and healthy, and they can move really well, and they don't seem to have a lot of problems with any of that. It's really quite remarkable. I see a lot of people where their skin still looks great and very radiant, um, I definitely noticed all of that. I would say those are probably the biggest things. The mental health, eliminating anxiety was the thing that I was the most grateful for. I definitely could feel like my spirituality and gratitude was increased after doing a carnivore diet. I just felt more grateful for things and noticed things around me a lot more and really appreciated them. Um, and I would say, yeah, the, when, we, when we started our own company and chose Boundless Body, as our title, we did that very mindfully because that's how we feel. We feel like we do have boundless energy to do the things that we want to do. It's, you don't really even have to think about it. If somebody said like, Hey, let's go for a three hour bike ride, or let's play a second hockey game, or let's go on a five mile walk. Like, great. Like right? we can do any of that. And I think, I think part of that is again, I'm being very grateful that I found carnivore and that is, has enabled me to do that. But I think the other side of that coin is we're, we're witnessing in front of us what is happening to everybody else out there eating a standard American diet. And especially now that we've stacked a few generations of low fat, you know, people, parents are low fat, their parents are low fat. And now the kids are eating standard American low fat. It's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad out there. People are aging quickly. I, it's not uncommon for me to see people in their twenties and thirties with tons of brain fog, or, you know, they need naps every day, or they just can't lose fat. They can't burn fat or they've got no energy to do anything. And so it's, it sucks. It's really a bummer. And the, the gap between those two groups of people just seems to get wider and wider. And my only hope through all of that is that people will recognize that over time and hopefully find podcasts like yours that have all these people that are doing the most bizarre opposite thing that we're supposed to do and are seeing really great results. And they're noticing that they're aging numbers wise, but their bodies still feel great and can perform at a very high level. So if, if there's any hope from you know, seeing the situation with people on the standard American diet, the one hope would be that it would be pushing people so far in the bad direction that the pendulum would swing the other way and more people will find carnivore and try it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, me and my husband were talking the other day and he was like, it's going to be really interesting to see since there's more and more people going to carnivore, keto, low carb, see all of, all of us get older and then see, you know, the rest of the population. And I feel like at that point, you know, there is no, well, you're doing well. Cause you're young. It's like, well, you know, all of these people are older and they're doing a whole lot better than even these people who are, who are younger. So that'll, yep. that'll be really interesting to see. Sean Baker, Mark Sisson, Brad Kearns. Um, you've got Dr. Lisa Wiedemann out on the East coast where you are. She's in her sixties or late fifties doing, you know, cartwheels on the beach every single day. And they, they look great. They have amazing amounts of energy and they're such cool examples for the rest of us of what can actually be possible. And hopefully that can inspire some people out there because you're right. Like at that age, they look vastly different than not only the normal population, but even if you look at plant-based doctors and advocates that are getting up to that age, they, they're not aging well at all. Yeah, not at all. I, I think the <laughs> most shocking one for me, or maybe it's the most popular image is, uh, 
Dr. Michael Greger, I think that's who he is. <laughs> and he's sitting there holding his broccoli and it's like, I don't know, it's like 49th birthday or something. And they got the picture of Sean Baker next to him, like years older. And <laughs> so that was exactly the person I was thinking of um, yeah. was him. His, his new book is available for pre-order and it's called How Not to Age. Think about that. Like I understand it's a play, it's a play on words a little bit, but that could be misinterpreted and you could be showing us the way of how not oh, to age. Oh man. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, really. It's scary because I remember uh, it was like a year ago, my mother-in-law texted me. She was like, Hey, what do you think about Michael Greger? I'm thinking about buying his book, How Not to Die. And I was just like, oh my God, I wanted to text her. Like, have you seen this man? Like, really? You want to take advice from him? <laughs> oh my goodness. So funny. I bought that book. I bought that book when it came out. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it had really great advice and eat the rainbow and lots of vegetables. And I went back to my nutrition coaching practice and doubled up again, even knowing all the low carbohydrate stuff that I noticed and, and, and knew about at the time. It was like, wow, these vegetables are so healthy for people. Like they have to be eating more vegetables. Let's find new ways to prepare them and new ways to get different ones. And so we have more of the rainbow and let's get nine to 11 servings of them. And it's like, yeah, it's really convincing. It convinces a lot of people. It's really damaging. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. So Casey, you are a man who, like I said earlier, you find time to do things. You're well-read. You have time to listen to podcasts. You have time to edit your podcast. You have time to train clients and all this, these wonderful things. What does your perfect 72 hour day look like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my days are 24 hours, just like everybody else's. Um, I, you know, I was asked this on a podcast once and somebody, somebody pointed out, we were talking about my lifestyle and the things that I like to do in a day. And somebody pointed out like, wow, you're, you're really lucky to be able to do those things. Cause most people can't do those things. They've got other priorities. And I said, you know, yes, I recognize that. Thank you so much. And I wish I wish going back, I would have pushed back a little bit more to say like, yes, I'm very grateful that I get to live the way that I live, but I also make a lot of sacrifices for things that I prioritize. You're not going to find me out at a bar past like 7.30, 8pm. Like I'm in bed by 8pm. I get in my sauna every single night before bed. Um, you know, I prioritize sleep at the end of the day. I think that sets up my next day to be what I would consider successful. Um, I normally will wake up right around 5am without an alarm clock, which is great. Um, my best thing and, and favorite thing to do if I can get out is just get out and start walking. I, I, I think that's the best way for me to, you know, get my mindset on my day. Think about the clients that I have. Um, I will do coffee. So that's one of the plant foods that I still include in my diet. And I, I do still use like MCT oil and a little bit of butter. I put salt in my coffee. Um, I'll walk around the neighborhood. I'll listen to podcasts. Um, you know, when we started our business, it was basically during the pandemic when people, our clients, our family, the people that we've worked with, with years at the gym, all of a sudden needed a new solution to strength training. They couldn't go to the gym. We couldn't work at the gym. Like, what are you going to do? People were dusting off whatever equipment they had in their house. And so our company was just started based on that. We just wanted to help people around the house. And luckily, most of my people are either remote or they're people that are just in my little neighborhood here. So a lot of my clients I walked to or ride my bike to, and, you know, we work on them on whatever their goals are during our sessions. You know what it's like with personal training. You're counting to 12 and giving them whatever program design you think is best, but you're also an expensive therapist and you're a friend and you want to talk to these people about how their lives are going, what their jobs are like, how are their families doing, what's their new nutrition like? Are they getting good results? And so I work with people during the day when I do that. And then, yeah, I just fit in, you know, make sure I have time to go on walks with my wife. We play, you know, stupid board games during the wintertime when it's really cold and we're not getting as much sunshine as possible. In the summertime, we like to be outside in the sun as much as we can. And now that we're carnivore, we can, we can be all day in, in high noon sun and we never get burns. We tan up really, really well. Um, so we love doing that, but yeah, we have very simple lives and we've, we've created that for ourselves by the things that we've chosen. I'm, I don't have the sickest car. I don't have the biggest house and I'm, I'm fine with that. I've got a lifestyle that makes me really content with things and I build everything else around that. And, and yeah, in that sense, it is something that I'm very grateful for. So that would be my 72 hour, 24 day for you. <laughs> All right. Beautiful. 
Okay, Casey. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, what advice would you give to someone just starting out on carnivore? Oh, that's a really great question. I even I knew it was coming and I still think it's a great question that I have to really think about. Um, <clears throat> I would say that I would want most people to know what the author Jane Buxton put on the cover of her book, The Great Plant-Based Con. And on the cover, it says, why eating a plant's only diet won't improve your health or save the planet. I would want somebody to understand that. I would want somebody to really think critically about the messages that were given, not only about our health, but about the health of the planet and the ethics of eating meat. And I would want somebody at least to start moving in the direction of you you need more meat. You need more red meat in your diet, whether you do strict carnivore, relaxed carnivore, whatever it is, like you need meat and eggs and, and red meat in particular is absolutely essential, regardless of what level of strictness you want to go for. So start moving in that direction and see how you feel like you are in charge of your life and it, nobody's going to come and save you. But to sit down and think critically about those things and really pay attention to how you feel would be probably my best advice. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much again for being here with me, Casey. This was such an honor. Thank you so very much. It was great to talk to you twice on our podcast and it was so great to be hosted on your show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And one last thing, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest place is just our website, which is my boundless body. Com. And there, one of the first things that you see when you go to the website is a book now button where people can book a complimentary 30 minute consultation with us and they can chat about whatever they like. If somebody wants to talk more about carnivore or nutrition, or they want to discuss some of the principles we talked about today with strength training or their, you know, training for a marathon or some endurance event, that's a lot where my background is as well. So yeah, people can talk to us about anything. We don't charge for that ever. We set up a quick call and yeah, hopefully um, we can help people around the world, but the best place for that is our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. Perfect. That's it for today. Until next time, stay meaty, stay strong, and stay inspired. Do you have a carnivore story to tell? Connect with me on Instagram at meet, M-E-A-T, Mrs. M-R-S, Grubs, G-R-U-B-S. I would love to interview you. And the world needs to hear your story and how meat heals. Thanks so much for watching and all your support. Bye-bye till next time.